Welcome to Deutsche Bank's Horizon Scanning Podcast, where we examine the emerging threats and opportunities that the economy faces today. I am your host, Dan Hunter. In this episode, my colleague Christian O'Reilly, the America's CEO, examines the state of US infrastructure, as well as the scope and potential impact of President Biden's proposed America's Jobs Plan. Joining her in the conversation today is Barbara Humpton, the president and CEO of Siemens in the US, where she guides the company's strategy in its largest market. Also joining the conversation is Brett Ryan, senior US economist at Deutsche Bank, and Jeremy Eisman, our head of infrastructure and energy financing for the Americas. While it has long been thought that federal infrastructure investment was one of the few bipartisan issues in Washington, disagreement over the scope and the cost of recent proposals has stalled the process. Meanwhile, current investment levels have not matched the demand for repairs, let alone any new developments. So over to Christiana and our guests for more. My first question, Brett, goes to you to start on this topic uh, from a macro perspective, macroeconomic perspective. And the question I've got for you to, to kick us off here is whether or not you see the state of infrastructure being a meaningful drag on U.S. growth And where do you see that posing the biggest economic risk for us? I'll get right into it. Um, To your point, we hear stories in the media every minute, it seems, about supply chain bottlenecks. And when we look into those supply chain bottlenecks, a lot of that has to do with the transportation infrastructure. It's that last mile of getting goods to... uh, you know, two shops, that is really the problem right now, Uh, whether it's container ships, containers, whether it's roads to have large trucks uh, hauling on, the truck infrastructure, everything is being kind of, when the economy is reopening all at once, you're trying to, everybody's trying to rush to get the, you know, the resources back in place all at once. And you're seeing that, um, that avoidance of infrastructure spending over the last decade is really playing out now in the sort of bottlenecks that we're seeing and the rise in costs that we're seeing as well. Brett, thank you. I'm gonna bring Barbara into the conversation from the perspective of what she sees in her engagement with a broad stakeholder group, both on the public sector as well as with private sector clients of Siemens across this region. Barbara, does what Brett says in terms of the weakness of infrastructure, we certainly hear a lot from our clients at the moment around how supply chain bottlenecks are an aggravating factor on the risk of inflation. Tell us what you are hearing from your stakeholder group and how urgent uh, do you see this situation as being? It is urgent indeed. And we know that there is a lot of work to be done. But let me give you a perspective that It's really moments like these, moments of intense disruption, what we've experienced over this last 15 months, that really give us the best opportunity to shape the future. It's moments like these where everything feels broken and people start to question, why do we do things this way? So it's a perfect opportunity to ask ourselves as we build and as we invest as part of recovery and reinvention here in the US, what do we want the future to look like? Crumbling infrastructure, it's been on the national agenda for quite some time. We know that that needs attention and there's good agreement uh, on both sides of the aisle if you're looking at this politically to what should be be done next. Uh, Yes, there is debate about how to pay for it, but 
what's really interesting is that I do think we need a broader vision for infrastructure. And in fact, it's the reason that I penned a letter, an open letter to government with suggestions about how to think about infrastructure, not just for repairing what we've used over the last century, but actually building the infrastructure we'll need for the next century of American leadership in the world economy. And so simple things like our grid and the, the modernization of our grid assets, the addition of electric vehicle charging as part of that, new forms of transportation, and, and frankly, thinking of manufacturing as part of infrastructure. So what I'm finding, Christiana, is that yes, it's a, it's a moment when we can wring our hands, but it's also a moment that's encouraging us to be incredibly creative about the future that we want for America. I love that optimism, Barbara. I'm going to pick up on on what you said around the the challenges of financing uh, this future and the the picture that you paint because it it is pretty uh, pretty significant in its demand on financing and bring Jeremy Eisman into the conversation. We know that the majority of infrastructure spending in this country does originate in the private sector, but yet we see you know, numbers being bandied around of just how big the financing gap is likely to be. How are you taking a look at that, Jeremy, from the perspective of your vantage point? And how do you think about this tussle that we're seeing in Washington at the moment around how much really gets spent uh, within the government and how much uh, the initiative needs to be picked up out of the private sector? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. Thanks, Christiana. Um, I, I think a part of it does come down to the, to the point that the Barbara made, that there's a definitional question about what what is infrastructure and what fits within that that um, that that term I think you know when you look at at models that are deployed overseas for example in Europe where there's a far higher emphasis put on federal funding for uh, infrastructure development whereas in the US there's a reasonable amount of that that falls to state and municipalities which are ultimately often funded by the private sector through municipal bonds. Um, and, and the federal government's role there really is to incentivize that financing through uh, tax incentives and, and tax uh, abatements on those, um, on those municipal bonds. Um, I think when you look at, you know, a lot of the clients I speak to are, are the clients who are out involved in fundraising and deploying capital into infrastructure opportunities and infrastructure funds. And you look at, at the continued trend of, of infrastructure fundraising over the last few years, and it's continued to increase um, sort of year on year on year on the last couple of years. There's currently $40 billion worth of funds, which are focused really on North America alone. There's you know over $100 billion raised every year in the market on relatively long tenor funds that are looking to be deployed on infrastructure opportunities. So I think the private sector clearly has seen there's an opportunity. Um, and is looking to deploy capital into that opportunity to help fund those, um, to, to, to help fund the gap. But I think, a, you know, a $2.5 trillion gap that you mentioned is, is going to be too, too large to be funded solely out of the private sector um, in the short order and a order on, on federal, state and municipal uh, support to get there. So maybe to bring Brett back in uh, on this conversation, if we know that it's going to be a mix uh, of public and private, 
how do we need to think about the return on investment that, on the one hand, uh, private investors need to be seeking out of this these opportunities versus the taxpayer, right? Uh, and that relationship between increase in taxes and increase in economic prosperity and sustainability of that prosperity over the longer term. Sure. So this was what makes the sort of soft infrastructure an interesting one. Um, you know, things like 400 billion to fund uh, expansion of Medicare to cover community-based services um, for elder care uh, and those sort of, and um, disabled. There are 58 million uh, people over the age of 65. They're going, right now, they're going to be 74 million of them by 2031. And unfortunately, 10% of them are going to have, um, you know, different health diseases that are going to require these care, this care that's going to cost about 300 billion a year. So the return is freeing people up to um, creating jobs, essentially. That is the return on investment here, is creating good jobs. It is a way of, it is a way of making sure that we can meet these challenges, as, as Barbara had said, uh, when it, so we don't repeat these mistakes of, yeah, um, or mistakes of the past in terms of when we're dealing with the global pandemic, uh, having the infrastructure in place to to meet those challenges quickly. Um, so, you know, I think from a rate of return, I mean, the rate of return on your treasury, 10-year treasury bond is 1.6% as of today. Um, you know, it, it seems like a pretty good opportunity for a modest spread above treasuries uh, to really have big productivity payoffs later on, because we're going to need productivity um, to pick up in order to deal with these debt issues later on. Uh, down the line. So Brett, you're making a strong case that infrastructure investment is net positive for the economy over the longer term. But the critics of the current bill in Washington, and Barbara, I'm going to turn to you uh, on this one, do say that this bill is much broader, right, than traditional infrastructure spending. We're hearing that uh, very strongly in the debate. How do you think about some of the elements that are being included in here, some of the investments that, you know, you and I have had wonderful conversations in other fora around some of the social changes that the pandemic has made plain and made very visible, and that are some ways being reflected, you know, in this agenda. How do you think about responding to that and thinking about things like broadband investment, you talked about EV investment that are being included in here that wouldn't traditionally be part of the way we would think about, you know, bridges, roads, and, and tunnels. Yeah, I, I think this is a good moment to employ system thinking. I mean, Brett makes the perfect point, which is if, if we realize that the underlying goal is to drive economic development, then the question is, where do risk and reward flow in the overall system? And so you can kind of look at the components that are proposed in the current bill and ask yourself, is this something government should do? Is this something the private sector should do? Is this something that could be um, incentivized by government with, uh, with private sector involvement? And it's, it's really fun to think about examples of things that have worked successfully this way. A, a great one is, what about the global positioning system? You know, it was devised back in the 1970s and 80s as a tool for the U.S. Air Force. And people literally said, well, who's ever going to use the global positioning system? 
Well, who knew back then that we would all be using it to frankly just get from meeting to meeting when we are able to be in person. It's everything now, it's everywhere. So, So I love the idea of some federal spending that initiates a marketplace some federal spending that lays down an infrastructure that maybe even accelerates this. I had a chance to um, have a meeting with one of the people who's deeply involved in the negotiations uh, between the White House and the Hill. And, and the, the question I was asked was, why should the federal government invest in electric vehicle charging? I mean, the federal government didn't pay for gas stations back in the day. Shouldn't the private sector do that? And my answer was, we could, right? We could wait for the private sector to make those investments. But the fact is, if the federal government will establish a framework, actually get the market going a bit. I mean, think about at the Super Bowl when GM challenged the Norwegians, you know, hey, we went all these electric cars. Well, we're not going to be able to have those electric cars on the road unless there's charging infrastructure for them. So I believe we need a jump start, And I think the private sector will take it from there. Now, finally, there are a lot of things that actually the private sector will glom onto, and I believe at the end of the day, we'll need very little federal involvement. There's a ton happening in energy. If we could get federal regulation to make it easier for us to begin to insert some of the innovation onto the grid, the electric vehicle charging, the uh, renewable energy that will then make that clean charging, the ability to do two-way microgrids, all of those things are difficult in today's regulatory environment, but open up that space a bit, you'll see a rapid engagement of private funds in things like energy as a service, vehicle charging as a service. All of those things are things that we at Siemens are working on right now. We see the potential. And what we're looking forward to is this combination of federal and private investment that will make all of that a reality. Thank you, Barbara. I'm going to bring Jeremy in again from the perspective of his engagement with our clients on the private sector here and the willingness to step into that void and the desire for there to be, as Barbara talks about, these kind of you know framework setting and how critical that is. You know, as you as many around the phone here will know, the commitments that we made as a firm two weeks ago at our sustainable deep dive uh, do see us wanting to get behind and really lean into some of these initiatives. Jeremy, talk a little bit about what's going on in that space. You know, how critical is the momentum that comes out of Washington around infrastructure for the private sector leaning in? Uh, thank, thank you. Um, I think it is it is it is very helpful. You know, I, I, again, coming back to some of Barbara's comments. You know, we deal. You know, we we work to finance clients often who are uh, looking to to do a lot of renewable, a lot of battery storage, a lot of work on the on the grid, microgrids. The, 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 you know, often often the, the permits they're required to get and the approvals they're trying to get really are referable back to older forms of power generation that aren't as relevant. Um, so there is there's clearly work to be done there to try to ease up the process to get approvals through for those type of developments. But we also see um, there, you know, we see a lot of innovation in the private sector, but really the, the, the difficulty is, is getting enough conviction behind those opportunities to get them really scalable to the point where they're, they're able to have a really direct impact on the whole economy is, is, is very difficult. I think, you know, you've seen 
individuals very occasionally achieve that type of success, you know, Elon Musk with Tesla and things like that, but they're, they're by and large the exception, not the rule. Do you know what I mean? The rule is, is that it takes a long time for capital or capital gets deployed and there are issues with it and, and the threshold for people to reinvest in that space becomes very, very high. So I think really the idea that there is, you know, some driving of that innovation from the federal government, I think would be very helpful. And then, and then, you know, I think it doesn't take much for the private sector to, to, to see the opportunity set and step right in behind it and really push that through to, to achieve the success that, that you want to see in that space. Yeah, so it's a snowball and we've got to get it rolling down the hill. This is our conversation on horizon scanning, and we always close the conversation on horizon scanning with a round of predictions because we're talking about trying to see something out there uh, that may not be immediately obvious. So I'm going to go one, two, three, uh, Brett, Barbara, Jeremy, to get your predictions in just a few words as we close the round as to what you believe Congress will be passing in terms of an infrastructure bill. Uh, when will it be passed and how expansive will it be? Brett, I'll start with you. Sure, so I think it's gonna be by the end of the year. Um, so between September and December, I think we are going to get something in the three to three and a half trillion uh, range with about 800 to of one trillion of that being in the form of tax credits, 400 billion in clean energy tax credits is going to be one of the incentives that we talked about. Um, and I think it's going to be done mostly uh, through reconciliation. Um, I do think that there's a narrow window for some things bipartisan agreement upon, uh, but I think ultimately most of this is going to be done through reconciliation. Barbara, can I turn to you? Okay, I love Brett's predictions, but I'm going to be a little bit more bullish on our legislators because I do think that they need a bipartisan win. So I'm going to say we're going to get to a, a, a bill, uh, and I'm going to say it's going to come in the summer time frame, uh, and it's going to include a much pared down version of what we're seeing in today in the jobs plan with the understanding that many pieces of this are gonna come through other vehicles. And like Brett says, reconciliation is gonna play a role, but, uh, but we're gonna have some bipartisan action on infrastructure. Again, I applaud your optimism, Barbara. I think that's <laughs> great. And Jeremy, I'm gonna to come to you uh, to give us your predictions as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm le less, uh, less qualified than either of the other guests, clearly, but <laughs> Um, I, I, I also think there's a lot of momentum behind this. The message that you know I seem to read out of this is that both parties want to see something done for infrastructure. It's something that's seen as popular. Um, you know, I read recently that you know Biden says he's potentially prepared to think about where the sources of paying it from it are coming from. Is it all from capital, uh, from from corporate? tax increases or is it only from a minimum tax? I think he's trying to make the right sounds to get a compromise. So purely from my position as a negotiator, I see that it looks like uh, something could be done soon, hopefully uh, in the next few months. Um, and I think the sizing of it, I, I really wouldn't be able to predict. Thank you all uh, for the predictions. We're gonna hold you to them. We'll come back and open that time capsule in a couple of months. It's been a great conversation. This is a, a burning issue. If Barbara's right, we'll see major movement within the next couple of weeks and over the, over the course of the summer. We'll be tracking that closely. I want to thank you all very much uh, for joining us today and helping us uh, 
do our horizon scanning on U.S. infrastructure investment. It's been a pleasure. Have a great rest of the day. Horizon scanning has been produced by Deutsche Bank and is intended for general information purposes only. By accessing horizon scanning, you confirm that you are entitled to do so in accordance with your own regulatory requirements. Any opinions, estimates or projections discussed in this podcast constitute the current judgment of the speaker at the time of recording and do not represent a formal or official view of Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank does not make any representations or warranties in respect of the currency, accuracy or completeness of any information included in this podcast or the reasonableness of any opinions expressed. Information included may not be complete or up to date for your purposes and is subject to change. For further disclosures and other important information, please visit research.db.com.